Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, City Church. Uh, it, I'm just so glad to be here with you this morning to spend this little time that we have together. We're going to dive into the Word. We're going to spend some time looking at the next holy moment in Jesus' life. But I did want to just say a couple things before we, we start on the message. And that is, you, you, hopefully you all got one of these packets of, uh, of invite cards. Maybe it was on the seat. Maybe the host team gave it to you when you came in. And, and hopefully this morning you also got the communion elements. We're going to be taking communion as a family again this week. But I just want to encourage you with these, with these invite cards. Um, take them. Pray. Ask God to reveal someone to you, to put someone on your heart that you can invite them to Easter service. You know, the, the Scripture says that, that in, the, in the gathering of a large crowd is the honor of the King. And so we want to make sure we honor Jesus. We want a big, big full house on Easter morning, not for us, but to honor Him because He's worthy. He deserves that. And so this is just our way of just trying to make it a little easier, you know, a little kind of an icebreaker to make an invitation. I also just wanted to say this. Uh, Pastor Mike is down in Brooklyn again this week, and he and Christy will also be traveling this week. And he's been traveling a lot lately, but I just want to let you know he will be back next week, okay? Um, and yes, I'm very excited about that. I'm like, yes, come on, Pastor Mike. We miss you up in Albany. We want to see you. So he's going to be back, but this week he did ask, please pray for him. Pray for him and Christy as they're traveling. Um, he just, he covets your prayers. He misses all your faces. He'll be here next week. Um, and then we're going to have him quite a bit over the next following weeks, which will be good. Amen? In fact, let's, um, let's pray for him and Christy real quick together, and then we'll dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We thank you for Pastor Mike and Micah, who are down in Brooklyn today. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless their time together. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit on that service in Brooklyn and Staten Island this morning, Lord God. And we pray for Pastor Mike and Christy as they travel this week, that you give them traveling mercies. You protect them on their going out and their coming back. We pray, Lord Jesus, for their home and their kids. And we just thank you and love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we've started a new series. Uh, it is a Holy Moment series. Last week, Bishop Joe came, brought a great word. If you weren't here last week, I just want to encourage you, go online, watch it on YouTube. It was a fantastic message centered around um, the anointing of Jesus' feet at Bethany. And, uh, and so it was great. Just want to encourage you to take a look at that. So we're going to continue in these Holy Moments. And this week, we're looking at the Lord's Supper, which is why we're going to do communion again. Um, and so if you have your scriptures, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14 and starting at verse 12. And the scripture says, Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Now, the, the Passover, it may be, maybe you're new to faith, or, or maybe you're like me, you didn't grow up going to church, and you might not have a, an idea of what Passover is, so let's just talk about that real briefly, because we don't have a lot of time. So, the Passover was a, a celebration that the Jewish uh, people would hold every year, and in it, they would remember that there was a time when they were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord was visiting these plagues on the people of Egypt. And at one point, He said to them, I'm going to kill the firstborn sons. And so what I need you all to do is to kill a Passover lamb and dip 
uh, parsley into that, or hyssop into that blood, and then anoint the door frames of your house with that. So the angel of death will know to pass over your house and not bring death into your house. And so in the process of celebrating the Passover, they had this very specific feast. There would be lighting of candles and different cups of wine to drink and different things to eat throughout the, the process of celebrating the Passover. And that's where we're at when we pick up this, this uh, moment in time, okay? So the disciples went to him and said, where do you want to eat the Passover? And so this is Jesus' response back into uh, what are we, Mark 14 and picking up at 13. And so he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you to a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. And so his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, this first section here kind of caught my eye looking at it. I see this, this almost three parts to this message this morning. These could almost have been three different messages, but the Lord just kept breaking down different pieces of it in different ways. And so this first part jumped out at me, and I'm like, go into the city and talk to a man carrying a pitcher of water. And, and in, in a my goofy way, I kind of saw this like spy novel or spy movie, right, where, the, where James Bond is going into this mysterious city. He's got to go find out what's going on. How will I know my contact? Oh, you will see the man carrying the pitcher of water. That is your contact. Go there and talk to him, right? And so it's like this crazy thing, like there's going to be a guy carrying a pitcher of water, and that's who you've got to talk to. And it's, it's fascinating to me because it's, it's so specific and it's so unusual. Men, men at this time, they didn't carry pitchers of water. That was, that was a job that was left to you ladies to go to the well and fill up the pitcher of water and bring it back to the house. So, so this is an unusual event that there's this person carrying this pitcher of water. It would have stood out to the disciples. And so they go, and they go into the city, and they look around for a guy carrying a pitcher of water, and you probably would have had a big pitcher of water on top of his head, so it would have, he would have been carrying it up here, and it would have been up above the crowd, right? Very easy for someone who was looking to see that. And the thing about it is this, when, when we ever we see water and movement together in a passage, it so very often symbolizes the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this instance, maybe you've heard of something called a, a treasure prayer walk, where a group of people will gather together and they'll pray and they'll ask the Lord to reveal something to them so they can go out and they can minister to someone out there that they don't know. It's kind of like what happened here. Jesus wanted to meet with His disciples. He wanted to conduct the Passover feast together. And so He said to them, look for this. Look for a man. Look for a man with a pitcher. Look for a man with a pitcher of water, and that man will meet you, and he'll lead you back to the place where we're going to have this Passover feast together, where we're going to celebrate the fact that God took us out of slavery as a people and brought us into new life. You're going to find a person carrying a pitcher of water, a man carrying a pitcher of water, who's going to represent to you the place where we're going to celebrate that redemption out of slavery into new life in God. We see the, the pillar, the moving, uh, the moving water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, like the pillar of cloud that the Israelites followed in the desert, right? This high, lofty 
coalescence of water in motion. We see it in Jesus saying that out of Him would come rivers of living water if you would drink from Him. We see it in the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the deep all the way back in Exodus. We see it here, a man with a pitcher of water. And so for those who are looking for a place to have a divine encounter with Jesus, for those who are looking today for a place where they can be in community For those who are looking for a place to celebrate that redemption of Jesus, follow the man with the pitcher of water. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into that place. The crowd that day were going about their own business. they, They didn't notice this unusual event going on. They didn't have eyes to see. They weren't looking to spend time with Jesus, and so they missed it. But the disciples that he sent in, they had open eyes. They were looking for a place. They were looking for the opportunity to spend time with Jesus. And so sometimes that leading of the Holy Spirit, it might seem strange. It might seem unfamiliar. It might seem like something that I've never seen that before. But count on the Lord to reveal those times. If you are looking, if you're seeking, he'll make himself known. I can't I can't tell you how many times in my life someone has said to me, are you a believer? In my regular, ordinary, everyday walking around, they've just been like, wait a minute, are you a believer? Because there's something going on in my life, and I feel like there's something in you that I'm connecting to. Maybe you're a believer too. And so this is the next part that I saw there with that man carrying that pitcher of water. Maybe he was a servant in that house. Maybe he was a son of that house. All we know from the Scripture is he was not the master of that house because Jesus tells them, follow this man back to the house and then speak to the master. And so we've got this man carrying this pitcher of water. And like I said before, men didn't carry water. So this was someone else's job. This was a man who was willing to go and do someone else's job and bring this water back to the house. This was a man who went to the well to fill up that pitcher of water to bring it back to the house. And so that man, that servant, showed humility, doing someone else's job to make sure there was water back at the master's house. And so I'd ask you this this morning. Are you the man with the pitcher? Are you the man with the pitcher? Those disciples went looking that day for the man with the pitcher of water. Are you that man with the pitcher? Will you go to the well, to the source, and draw up from that well, from that source, and fill up that pitcher, your clay vessel, you? Will you go to that well and fill up that source and then bring it back to the house of the master so there can be water in the house? Are you the man with the pitcher? Will you go to the source? Some of us would say, well, that's Pastor Mike's job to go to that source, to go to that well and be filled with that well, to be filled with that water, to bring it back to the house where Jesus can meet with people and have communion with them. Some of us would say, well, that's not my job. That's Marissa's job with the worship team. That's their job to go before the Father and worship and celebrate and lead us all into worship, to be so filled with worship that they can lead us into that place. Some of us might say, it's not my job to pray for other people. It's not my job to intercede with them. Gigi and Jeremy have got that. That's their job to do that, and they're doing a fantastic job of that. As our Pastor Mike, as our Marissa, I'm not excluding them, but I'm just saying, 
It's so easy for us to, to say, it's not my job to do that. It's someone else's job to do that thing. But here was a man who said, I don't care that it's not my job. I'll go to the well and I'll be filled with the well. I'll be sure to be filled up with that thing. I'll go to the source and be so filled that I can carry that thing back to the house of the Father, back to the Master's house. And so I just say this morning to the, to, the, to the person walking in the door this morning, to the person walking around the streets of Albany this morning, wondering where can I go? to meet up with this man, Jesus? Where can I go to find myself redeemed? Where can I go that this spirit of death would pass over my house? Where can I go? Will you, will you be that man with the pitcher of water? Will you take your card and lead someone who's out there looking around, trying to figure out where to go? trying to figure out where that hope and that peace and that joy might exist. Will you go and be that man with the pitcher of water and bring it and lead, meet them and lead them back to the master's house? And then Jesus says this. He says, when you've met him and talked to him, he's going to bring you back to the house and there'll be a, a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. That's in verse 15. And so, so where does Jesus want to celebrate the Passover? He wants to celebrate the Passover in a large upper room that's furnished and prepared. That's where he wants to celebrate the Passover. That's where he wants to celebrate redemption, in a large upper room that's furnished and prepared. It's a large room. There's room for you. There's room for me. There's room for that person. There's room for that person. There's room for the people over there. There's room for the people in e East Greenbush. Maybe I think I'm pointing in the right direction. There's room for people in Rensselaer. There's room for everyone. If you're wondering today, is there room for you in the place where Jesus celebrates the Passover, I want to let you know there's room for you. There's room for you today. There's a spot for you. There's a place for you. Last week, Bishop Joe said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and God is infinite, and so the depth of our relationship with God is dependent only on us and how far into those rooms we'll be willing to walk because He's so big and He's so welcoming and there's so much space that we can keep moving forward in Him for all eternity and never get to the end of God. There's room for you. If you were wondering, if you're tuning in online and you were wondering, if you wandered in off the street today and you're wondering, then there's room for you because Jesus celebrates the Passover in a large room. It's an upper room. It's above the fray. It's above the common. It's above the ordinary. It's above the things of this world that so easily ensnare us. It's high and it's lifted up. From whence comes my help? My, uh, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? That's what Scripture says. Who can ascend God's holy hill? He who has a clean heart. God is up here. I saw the Lord high and lifted up on His throne, right? I mean, it's God is up here above all that. And we're so often live down here in this world around us. But Jesus wants to celebrate a Passover in an upper room, above all this stuff that we so easily get caught up in. He wants to meet with us in a furnished room. It has everything that we need in it. The Lord will supply all my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. 
And so this room had couches and cushions and tables and bowls and cups and towels and water. It has everything we need. It's a room that's prepared already for us to meet with him there, which sounds interesting because Jesus says to the disciples, go, you'll find a room that's prepared, and then you prepare the feast. And so if it already has cushions and tables and chairs, it's furnished, and they're going to make the feast, then what's the preparation about this room? How is this room prepared? How is this room different than another room? Well, the room where Jesus will celebrate the Passover is one which is prepared. It's clean. It's in order. It's set apart. It's filled with prayer. It's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's full of, of light. The room is prepared. It's, it's decent and in order. The anointing is present. It's a room where the Spirit and the bride are calling out, come. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Is it perfect? No, because there's people there. But it's a place that's anointed and calling. It's a place that's large and welcoming. That's where Jesus wants to celebrate his Passover. Today is the day of salvation. So then we, we go. They meet up. They start to have this Passover feast. And picking up at verse 17, it says, And in the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said to them, It is the one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Ouch. Woe to that man who betrays me. It would have been good for him to have never been born. Ouch. That's a, that's a bit of a painful statement there that Jesus makes. It, it reminds me of, uh, of, of, you know, this, this, is not, this is not the little babe Jesus lying in the manger. This is, this is not the little lammy Jesus. This is Jesus who looks at Peter and says, Hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. This is Jesus confronting Jesus, a warrior. Jesus laying it out and telling the hard truth. Hey, you know what? One of y'all here, you're going to betray me. Woe to you. Would have been better for you to not even been born. And one by one, the disciples start asking, is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray Jesus? I mean, I'm sure Judas, because it says they all ask. I'm sure Judas kind of knew he, he, he had a plan going already. He'd already started the process. In, in one of the other Gospels, Jesus actually looks at him and says, hey, you know, do what you're going to do. Go do it quickly. So he knew, but all the others are asking, but what a great question. Is it me? Am I going to betray Jesus? I mean, it's kind of a cynical thing to say, but I'm sure you've heard people say this before, that every man has a price. Every man's got a price to do something that he otherwise wouldn't do. You know, if I offered you a million dollars, would you do this? Now, what if it was $2 million? Now, well, what if it was $5 million? What if it was $100 million? Like, at what point? At what point do the circumstances change that I'm willing to do the thing that I would never do otherwise? I mean, isn't that what Satan did to Jesus up on the mountain? I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down to me. 
Isn't that what he did to Job when he said to God the Father, he, he only loves you because he's got all this stuff, but let me, give, let me have five minutes alone with him. Let me take away his houses and his lands. Let me take away his kids and his barns and his sheep and his cattle. Let me take away his crops. Let me ruin him. Let me take away his health. And then let's see how what a holy Joe this, this Job over here is, right? There's a price. And each of these disciples are saying, hey, is it me? It, what are the circumstances that have to change? And in what way so that that's me that betrays Jesus? The thing is, Jesus knows our sins. He knows every one of them. And he, and he didn't die for the sins of my childhood. He didn't die for the sins of my adolescence. He didn't die for the sins that I committed as a young father and a, young, and a new husband. Jesus didn't die for part of my sins at one point in time. He didn't say, hey, up until here, yeah, you're forgiven, but from then on, that's all up to you, Kevin. He didn't leave me wallowing in my sins. He died and forgave me of all my sins, the sins from my past, the sins from my present, the sins from my future. When he died on the cross and shed his blood, he didn't just do it in part. He did it for everything because he knows each and every one of my sins. And so even there, in the midst of his disciples, he looked at Judas and he knew exactly what was in Judas's heart and mind. He was willing to go to the cross anyway for Judas's sins. Is it me? It's why Job could cry out, My Redeemer lives, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at last on the earth. And when I hear Jesus saying there, woe to the one who's going to betray me. It would be better that he was never born. I don't hear an angry Jesus there. I hear a Jesus whose heart is breaking because he knows that the anguish that Judas must have been feeling in that moment, the guilt and the shame and the fear, and he could see it in him. Woe is you, my son. It's It would have been better for you to not be born than for you to have to go through what you're going through right now. And I don't know, it's going to be one of the questions I ask when I get to heaven. I'm going to say, God the Father, would there have been any other way for Jesus to get to the cross without Judas having to go through what he went through? Would there have been any other way that that plan could have come about? Because I hear the anguish in Jesus over this person who was just caught up in his circumstances and is turning his back on Jesus and is betraying him. And I just hear his heart breaking for that one who's so far at that moment, who's just trapped in the, in the circumstances he's put himself in. That guilt and that, that fear and that pain must have been overwhelming. And so from there, they start to celebrate the Last Supper. And Jesus, in the process of that, they, I'm sorry, the Passover feast, and Jesus, in the process of that, institutes the Lord's Supper. And so picking up at verse 22, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so as they were eating, they had reached a, a particular part of the feast. For you Hebrew scholars out there, please forgive me. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this correctly. They, they reached the point in the feast called Yakats. 
It's when they take matzah, the bread, the unleavened bread, the matzah, and they break it to symbolize the fact that their bodies were broken as slaves in Egypt. That they were living, the, their ancestors, right, were living as slaves in Egypt, and the slavery that they lived under literally was breaking their bodies. And so Jesus says to them, I'm breaking this bread at this point in time to let you know that this is my body that's being broken. Your, our ancestors' bodies were broken under slavery back in Egypt, but now my body is being broken as a, under the slave, the taskmaster of sin, that I am taking on that sin, and I am letting my body be broken so your bodies don't have to be broken any longer, so you no longer need to be a slave to sin, so that you no longer have to have that punishment hanging over your head. I'm taking my body and letting my body be broken. I am going to become sin, that you can become the very righteousness of God. Remember back when Satan tempted Jesus? Jesus looked at Satan and said, yeah, but man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the Father's mouth. Later on in, in the book of John chapter 1, we read that Jesus was the very Word of God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus became, Jesus was that Word of God become flesh and living amongst us. And so he says in John 6, starting at 40, 47, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me and Jesus has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die, for I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, and I will give for the life of the world. And so Jesus breaks that bread. And in that moment says, I'm having my body broken so that you no longer need to live under the pain and the damage of being a, sin, a slave to sin. So that you no longer need to live that life, but you can have eternal life in God the Father. You go in the way, way back machine and, and remember the book of Genesis and and after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says we have to kick them out of the garden. If we don't, they might grab onto that fruit of the tree of life and live forever. God was so worried that they might partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever in their sin and their guilt and their shame. He says like, we got to kick them out of the garden for right now. And Jesus is, his body hanging on that tree is that fruit of the life forever. That tree of life is the cross. And there's Jesus' broken body hanging on it that if we partake of that bread, we could live forever. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Because in verse 23, he says, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He says, This is the cup 
And we're at another specific point. If, if you read in the Gospels and the other places, it says this is now taking place after supper, after the meal has ended. In the process of celebrating the, the Passover feast, there are three times that people drink from the cup. There's actually four cups of wine, but no one drinks the fourth cup. There are three points. So they drink one right at the very beginning, and it's the cup of sanctification. And then during the meal, they drink out of a second cup, and it's the cup of deliverance. And when the meal is concluded, they drink from that third cup. And that third cup is the cup of redemption. And redemption is a word we use at church, but sometimes maybe a, a, a word that, that we think about it in an earthly context, it makes it a little more clear. It just simply means this. The action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. It's the act of regaining something that we lost because now we have paid off a debt. The cup of redemption is, is Jesus saying, my blood is going to be poured out one sacrifice forever for all eternity to cover all sins of all people, past, present, future, one time being redeemed, one time being poured out so that what was once God's possession can now be God's possession again. Where we once walked with God in the cool of the day with God, we can now walk with God again in the cool of the day. We can now have that relationship restored because that blood is poured out. It's not enough to simply eat of Jesus' body and live forever. We need that cup of redemption so that we can live in communion with God, one with Him, Jesus living in us, us living in Him. So that cup that He says to drink from is the cup of redemption, that we who were lost might be regained because He paid the debt. Even Judas, even Judas, every one of them drank from that cup. Every one of them had the opportunity for redemption. And so the worship team is up here and we're going to take some time here at the close of the message today to take communion as a family. But before we do that, why don't, why don't we all stand up? Before we do that, I want to encourage you to take a moment because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, he, he gives us some instructions regarding communion. He encourages us to, to examine our own hearts and so we're going to take just a, a, some time. I'm going to read to you all the passage from 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping. And, and I want to encourage you, the altar here is open. If you want to come forward and you want to pray, come forward and pray and, and do some introspection today. If you want to do that at your chair, turn around, kneel down and kneel at your chair, awesome. If you want to do that while you stand and sing, awesome. If you want to sit, awesome. Do whatever you want. Yeah, our, our prayer team is here, and they'll pray with you later after service. This is really is a time for you, for you and Jesus to get together, for you and Jesus to spend that time with one another. But listen to what the Apostle Paul tells us about communion, how he admonishes us to consider just how serious communion is. And so he says this, picking up at verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a way that is unworthy of him will be guilty of profaning 
and sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man thoroughly examine himself, and only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body, he eats and drinks a sentence, a verdict of judgment upon himself. That careless and unworthy participation is the reason many of you are weak and sickly, and quite enough of you have fallen into the sleep of death. For if we searchingly examined ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, we should not be judged and penalty decreed by the divine judgment. But when we fall short and are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined and chastened so that we may not finally be condemned to eternal punishment along with the Lord, along with the world. When we fall short and are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined and chastened. It's a good thing for us to come under that chastening of the Lord, that discipline of the Lord. It's a good thing for us to enter into that time and, and reflect on ourselves and be reminded that there's the opportunity for redemption for every single one of us, no matter what we have done in the past, no matter what we have done, that there is the opportunity for redemption by that blood of Jesus. And so we're going to worship for a little while. And I just want to encourage you to press into God. And then when we're done with this song, we'll, we'll, we'll take those communion elements, we'll take communion as a family. <laughs> 